I'm Denise. I'm the Scottish one. And she's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise, the English one. And she's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Editing Podcast. Yes, hello. This week, we're delighted to welcome Jen Hamilton-Enry, co-founder of the fabulous Salt. Welcome, Jen. Hello. It's lovely to be here. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, so, um, Jen, I know some of this stuff myself already, but um, some people won't. Um, but I was taking a look at your website to make sure I was up to date. And your books have won a ton of awards, including I'm going to I'm going to have to read them all out here because I can't possibly rem- remember them. But the Polari First Book Prize three times, the Jerwood Fiction Uncovered Award twice, the Frank O'Connor International Short Story Award. Uh, nominated twice for the Booker, shortlisted in the Costa Book Awards, and won the Betty Trask Prize. That's an amazing story, That's and it's incredible mm. how remarkable the Salt story is. So, can you tell us a little bit more about what you publish, and where your primary markets are, and what kinds of authors you work to you love to work with? Well, we mainly publish fiction novels, but we do um, we have opened up a, a small non-fiction list that we started last year, the year before. So that's a sort of interesting sort of addition to the list, but mainly novels, um, a few short story collections. So that would be the, um, the one that won the Frank O'Connor and um, prize. Oh, yeah. uh, our, mostly our market is in Britain. Um, although we do publish, our books are um, available through our distributor and we do sell them into Europe. And then, of course, anybody can buy them online wherever they are in the world. Mm-hmm. But main, most of our authors are British and most of our market is in Britain. Mm-hmm. Do you have a particular genre of fiction that you publish, Jen, or are you quite eclectic in that area? We are eclectic. We it's a good word. <laughs> it's, it's a good word. We go for good books and it mm-hmm. doesn't matter what genre it is although we don't go for sort of thriller you know you're sort of um like oh, really commercial stuff yeah the commercial stuff we don't tend to do that it does tend to be the the sort of um the more literary but not sort of hardcore literary although mm-hmm. it is it just depends it's, it's we go for books we like we publish with the heart oh that's that's, that's... <laughs> Well, that's that's the lovely thing. And I think that really comes across in in terms of the way you just the way you and Chris engage online as well. Like that does feel it feels like a heart driven family publishing house. Well, yeah, sorry, you have to publish what you like because you put so much time and effort and and cash as well into it. You have to actually really love your books. Yeah. Jane, um. Given that you're you, you're a small publisher, but you're actually incredibly successful in winning um, awards, uh, what I'm curious about is um, if that has any impact on author retention. Do you think it's hard for a smaller press like you to keep a hold of authors whose books win these awards? I mean, do they stick with you or do you find they get poached by the big boys? It's a bit of both, really. Um, we've had... Alison Moore was shortlisted for the the Booker Prize with The Lighthouse and she Uh stayed with us. We've published all of her novels since and she's now branched into children's books. Has she? She has. Um, We're just publishing the next one next month and so we're really happy that that she stayed with us. Some people have, some people haven't. 
Um, and that's really the nature of small presses. Um, yeah. A lot of the, sometimes that we give authors a break and then they go off and get an agent and then they go their next books with a, a big publisher. And that's yeah. just the way it is, you know, we mm-hmm. don't take it personally. It's just the, the, the system. But sometimes people stay with us because we work hard for them. And um that you can nice. probably you can probably build up a sort of level of trust with them as well that, that, that yeah. you know that they know that your the passion's there. It's not just about um I don't know the sort of more I, I'm not saying you don't approach it um, professionally. I suppose I'm just trying to get at that that you know there are some of the large presses who are very driven by corporate you know stakeholders and shareholders and that kind of thing so that their maybe their agenda might be slightly different yeah and they're able to offer bigger advances than us yeah. you yeah. know they have access to money that we just don't yeah, yeah. so yeah. they can be you know quite enticing from yeah. a financial yeah. point of view sure. mm. yeah. yeah so you're celebrating 20 years of indie publishing that's amazing um an amazing achievement in an industry that i don't know i feel like it's practically reinvented itself in in 20 years in terms of digital publishing at least um for you how has that digital revolution affected you in terms of what or how you publish um how you price your books um how you distribute how you manage your workspace does it make life easier or is it still really damn hard <laughs> well we all of our books are digitally printed because we we print short runs so up to oh. maybe sort of 2000 copies they're printed on a digital printer so we can manage our stock levels very effectively we don't need to tie up lots and lots of money in in stock sitting in a warehouse yeah. so, mm. so that really makes it possible for us to publish um, and we started off using print on demand. We were literally printing one book at a time. Mm-hmm. And um, without that technology, we wouldn't have ever got off the ground because we just we've never had any capital. So yes. you know, it's thanks to digital that we've been able to to do anything. And then of course there's the ebook side of things that we really used to supplement our print publishing. We yep. don't do any like print um print only. only right. Yeah, so, you, you're always using that as a stream to kind of support the print publishing yeah, side of things. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, Jen, I'm sure our um, our listeners who are indie authors are, would be curious to know how things work in terms of your of your book list. So, how do you first connect with authors? Um, are they able to submit direct to you, or do you work on a commissioning only basis or through agents? Um, that would be interesting to know what sort of process you're using at Salt. Well, like every small independent publisher, we have we can only publish so many books. We publish between sort of well, roughly about twelve to fifteen books a year. Although this year we're publishing more because it is our twentieth anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's normally where we pub- where we aim to be because that's an, a manageable amount for us. Yeah. But you can imagine how many books there are out there unpublished looking for a publisher. Yeah. Mm. many more than 12 yeah yeah mm-hmm. so you have to be quite so are those people getting in touch with you direct or are they or well, are, or are you going are you commissioning from them are you saying um like we're interested in what you're doing it's well we can't encourage people to come to us direct because we would just never have yeah. time to do anything other than read submissions unfortunately yeah. Yeah. Mm. um so we do we do approach people if somebody's come to our attention 
then yeah, we'll yeah. say to them, have you got a book written? Are you writing something? You know, keep us in mind when you've finished. Um, um, sometimes we get recommendations from our authors or other people in the industry that we we respect. So we'll take take note of what they tell us. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes people come to us through agents. So it's a bit of a bit of everything, really, yeah. except we don't invite people to send us things that are unsolicited because we just couldn't cope. Yeah. Mm. You'd yeah. be swamped, wouldn't you? We yeah, you would. would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and once an author's on board with you, are you, um, I mean, I think I know the answer. You've kind of answered this already, but because I was going to say, are you, are you commissioning in advance? And if so, how long do you do you say to authors like, well, you know, you've got like a year or two years to complete the work or are you kind of in a position where you're ready to go almost or again, or it might be a mixture? Well, it takes at least a year for, from us taking a book on to publishing it a year okay. minimum because we have to put, feed it into the bibliographic database systems that feed all the, the world's book systems like Amazon, all the bookshops and so on. And we have to market it and all of that's done ahead of publication. And then we have to obviously edit it and make sure it's a good book. So we need at least a year. But we have approached authors in the past. There's one particular author I can think of where I said to her, look, we really want to publish your book. It's I just know it's going to be really, really good. Yeah, so when yeah. you're finished it, come to us five years later. <laughs> get the oh, wow. <laughs> And was it as good as you hoped? It was. It was really good. It was worth the wait. (laughs) So we're flexible. That's one of the good things about being a small press. You know, we can we're in charge of our own list. If somebody comes to us and it's years later, then we can still fit it in. So it might be in the following year's list, but that's that's fine. Yeah. So, so that flexibility is is one advantage, I suppose, of working um, with a smaller publisher like Salt. But are there are there any other ways in which an author would find it different um, working with you compared to publishing with one of the bigger presses like Harper Collins, for example? Um, do you find you have? Would your authors say that they have a closer relationship with you, for example? Well, we are a much smaller team here, and there's myself. We have another couple of editors a publicist and a sales team so between and we have and we work with one of our and other people does all the design of um book cover and all the website stuff and so on mm-hmm. so so the author would be working with maximum three people right the editor the book designer and then mm-hmm. the publicist and we all work to, and that is basically almost the complete team. So we, and we all work together. So they would get, we would all know where everybody was up to and what was happening because, you know, we work closely and we'd be working closely with them. So, yeah, I think they would feel very much part of the Salt family. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that means... Yeah, definitely. I'm just wondering if that means that an author would feel much more involved in the process. I mean, you hear stories of authors not having any say in the cover design or the blurb on the back of their book or how it's how it goes to market. Do, do your authors um, have have m- much of a say in that sort of thing? I'm guessing it's yes. It is a definite yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah we wouldn't publish a book with a jacket on that the, the author wasn't happy with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they would sign off on the blurb you know, they they have to be absolutely happy with everything before we go to press. 
and um, yeah. our cover designer, you know, he's very skilled at cover design, but he's also unbelievably patient. <laughs> <laughs> Goes backwards and forwards and you know, intricate detail, making sure that the author's happy. Yeah. So, yeah, they absolutely, we make sure that they're, yeah, totally involved with that side of things and the editing side as well. You know, every part of the book, we want them to be happy with. Yeah. And thinking about um, editing, and we've been talking about cover design just now, but um, I think it might be useful for our listeners to to understand at least how Salt handle this. But what, what do you do for the, an author as part of their contract? So production costs, cover design, um, editing. Um, I'm trying to get an author a, a sense of how much authors for Salt and other perhaps small independent publishers, how much do they need to do themselves before they actually give you their book file? compared to authors who go down the self-publishing route, which is what a lot of our listeners do. Um, are you taking on, do they need to to have that book in, in good shape editing wise before they sent it to you or is there support in house for that? Well, we would want the absolute, their final version of their book. Yep. So as far as they're concerned, it is finished and it yep. is perfect in their <laughs> eyes. Yeah. Um, they ha- people have to remember that there there's there are so many unpublished books that you know if we're choosing between one that's needs a lot of editing work and one that doesn't and they're both equally good stories then we would quite possibly go for the one that needs the least work yeah that makes yeah. sense yeah so the the book has to really the author has to make sure it's absolutely as perfect as it can be and they are happy with it Um, And then we work with them to um, make it better. You know, we read it as a reader. Like I always think of myself as a professional reader. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I look at does the text flow? Is it consistent? And I'll work with them to improve it. But it has to be as good as it can be first. Yeah. And as for the the other side of things, well, we we would edit the book design the cover we would do all the publicity we would pay for all the print you know the author wouldn't actually be spending any money at all with us and um, what but what we do ask is that their book is as good as it can be first and then they work with us to market it yeah. so mm-hmm. they, they work with us to you know go on social media and talk about it help us get um you know articles written or take part in events and do interviews with their local press and that sort of thing so that that publicity is key for the book to work and they're really the key the key advocates for their own work yeah yeah and do you um expect of your authors that they go out and look for those sort of opportunities themselves as as well as you finding them um I mean I see you on social media a lot on Facebook and Twitter and that's and that's lovely um and in terms of you know um interviews and book signings and things like that is the responsibility with them or is that again something that that you do for them well, we do what we can, but mm-hmm. it is a very tough market out mm. there, and there can never be too much done to publicise a book. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know the author has their own network of colleagues or friends, and you know, they live in a part of the world where there'll be local media and local libraries, uh-huh. bookshops. So yeah. they're really good position to sort of exploit their own networks. Yeah. 
but also the book. I think that's sorry sorry go on <laughs> no just good to say um the book might also be about a specific subject that they're expert in if it's a non-fiction book or a, a, a novel about a particular theme yeah. so they're in a good position to also um you know talk about it and find and they might already be linked into networks around that particular subject yeah I think it is really important that authors understand that and, and are prepared for that because mm -hmm. I think there is yeah. still this image that you write a book you hand it to if you get a publishing contract that all this marketing is magically going to happen and um, and they can almost sit back I think some authors are sometimes surprised that that they are expected to um, to to contribute to their marketing and as you uh, marketing and as you say Jen their best place to do a lot of it because they should already be connected with these sort of communities and and networks and, and be able to exploit them. And readers love to have a connection with the creator as well, mm. don't they, as well? Mm. I mean, I think that that it's, I mean, I know that the, the events that I've been to, that the SALT events, that one of the really nice things is, is actually seeing that's the person who wrote those words and they're standing there and they're reading them. And that's, that's, that's really, that's a really special connection if you've read that book and then you get to see the person who, who brought it to life kind of thing. It is, I agree. And you go back and reread the book and you hear the author's voice. Yes. It's a different mm -hmm. experience. It really is, isn't it? Have you got anything planned, anything nice coming up? Are you at any events in the next wee while, Jen? Um, that's a hard question. <laughs> Put you on the spot there, didn't I? I know. <laughs> Our authors are out all the time doing mm -hmm. events. So we have um, people, we've got um, Sally Harris in Norwich um, and W.H. Smith on the uh, Saturday, last Saturday of the month, signing books. And we've got mm -hmm. authors at Edinburgh Book Festival. We've got Alison Moore there and Micah Zervogel. Yeah, they're out all the time doing things. Yes, it's wonderful. They're Aww. great. We love our <laughs> authors. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Can we talk a little bit about rights then? Um, when What happens um, in SALT with regard to rights? Do authors sign over rights to their books in exchange for an advance or do you operate differently? Well, the, the minimum rights we need are obviously the rights to print the print book in Britain and by extension Europe. Yeah. Without they're the basic rights. Without them, we can't do anything. Um, and we we do give an ad, the authors an advance for for the rights that they give us. Um, we we work with a, a rights agency. So if the author says, okay, we'll also give you translation rights, then right. we yeah. work with our rights agency as well as other publishers who we've worked with in the past around the world. Um, to sell those rights on to you know different um, publishers abroad for translation or publication in English in Australia or whatever. Yeah. Um, sometimes people are happy if they, especially if they don't have an agent, they're happy for us also to have the um, radio broadcast rights and possibly oh, film and TV oh. rights. Mm. There's a lot to think about, isn't there? Yeah, so there, yeah, there are lots of different types of rights. Mm -hmm. um, we don't pay more advance for them, but we do work with different people to try and sell them. And then the author would get a cut of any income. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. But, and so how about um, sales reports and royalties then, Jen? How does that work? I mean, I know some authors get a bit confused about royalties because there's a difference between a royalty on, on the retail or list price and, and the net royalty. Can you maybe explain a little bit about that? Yeah, it's different publishers work in different ways and it really depends on how how well off they are, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but a lot of the smaller independent publishers they work on a royalty based on what they actually receive themselves. So the mm-hmm. net receipts of the book, because if we sell a book for, if, say the cover price is £10, then the shop, like um, Waterstones or wherever, may take 55 to 60% of that cover price. Um, so that's the money we get. So yeah. we, that's before any of the well you've also had to bear the the production costs and the, yeah. the marketing costs on top of that so so we would get say four pounds fifty from that's our net receipt and we would pay the royalty on that but from that also we have to pay the print costs we have to pay 20 percent out for the sales team and the distribution mm-hmm. and publicity and all of our other costs come out of that £4.50 so um, yeah it's a very tough area to try to make money in basically. It really is isn't it? It really is a tough industry Um, you know thinking back to what we were talking about before with the comparisons with the likes of you know Random House or HarperCollins or whatever it's it's such a, a sort of financial heavy or financially demanding um, business to work in and I think sometimes a lot of less experienced authors don't realise quite how how much a, a publishing company of any size has to put in in order mm. to make to put mm. that thing on the, on the shelves just how tight the margins are I think it's very attractive to um, authors to go down the self-publishing route because people then say you know if you're publishing on Amazon or whatever you get to keep a much much higher percentage but what they don't always do the joined up thinking and think but yeah that means I have to do absolutely everything else myself and do all these other things yeah yeah they're in charge of but they're in charge of all those things you were just talking about Jen Mm -hmm. like the publicity and the and the um the production um we talked we've talked already about print runs and how you said about how that operating a a a small run and print on demand is those those kind of tools of of how you've made a, a success but um can I ask you a bit about bookshop returns? Because um, I've just been horrified sometimes when I've heard stories uh, about, I used to work in-house for a publisher years ago, and the, it was shocking how much bookshops returned. And, and I just wondered how, you, how that works with you and how, how you manage the challenge of it. Oh, it's a total nightmare, to be honest. Mm. Um, we sell books to the bookshop, um, three months later, we get the payment from them. So all our costs are up front before the book comes out. And then we have to wait months before we get any sales money. And then maybe a year, 18 months later, they might just, the bookshops, usually just before the end of the financial year. So it's usually mm-hmm. sort of February, March, they'll go through all their stock and send as much back as they can. And, um, and we have to refund them. So oh, it, it yeah. is, I mean, it can lit. You, th- you think you're having a good month and then suddenly you've got no sales income because yeah. mm-hmm. you have to pay all the money out. 
And are those books usable as well? Because surely they probably get damaged in transit and... um... They do. They're often damaged. We often just have to pulp them. They have to be destroyed. So we have to give them their money back and then destroy the book. I think that will come as a massive shock to a lot of our listeners. I mean, I was aware of this from working in publishing, but I think a lot of readers and listeners will have no idea that that's how bookshops work and that they can return books a year later and ask for the money back. And then you can't sell them on because they're not in a a decent condition. That's right. And then, sorry, that month you've not had any income, but you've still to pay for Mm. rent and other costs it's very hard it's you imagine hard. imagine going to into the apple store and buying an ipod and then returning it a year later and saying i don't want this anymore and and here it is and it's broken that's right and then demanding all your money back it's quite i think it's probably unique to to the to the publishing industry i don't i can't i'm struggling to think of another uh, of another business that might have to tolerate that kind those kind of working conditions Mm. Well done, you, Jen. I know, <laughs> well could be a publisher, eh? I mean, a small publisher like that, it's uh, that must make, you know, balancing your books a bit of a nightmare. So, Jen, are there any particular resources or organisations um, that you think would be useful for um, writers to know about when they're seeking a publishing contract and they're looking to get their um, their manuscript in the best shape possible before they submit for a contract? Well, probably the first place to look would be the the SFEP website, which is a brilliant resource for getting your book absolutely ship shape editorially so that it's in a good good place to send out. Excellent. Um, we would agree with that, wouldn't we? Yeah, we would. <laughs> we're, we're both members, Jen. So, oh, um, there you go then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the publishing training centre is another good place. They do, they mm-hmm. put on a, a lot of courses and they have a good website for um, for authors and everybody in the the book world. Basically, yeah. Pub- they do a lot for publishers as well. Yeah. And yeah. um, and I would say read as much as possible. You know, and also if you're wanting to send out to publishers or make contact with them or write specifically for them, then understand their list and what kind of book the books they publish but you can mm. never read too much and you can never write too much I think that's a really great um piece of advice um both about the reading and writing but that that list understanding that list connection is important because I know that I've, I've had all, um independent authors before say that they they tried to go down the traditional publishing route and they were they were you know they said they contacted 20 publishers and and didn't get anywhere and then when I looked at what their book was about and looked at the publishers they contacted, it was quite clear why those presses hadn't been interested because it just wasn't a, it wasn't about lack of quality in terms of that author's writing. It was about lack of fit. It was just mm-hmm. a poor fit. And it mm-hmm. would be, it's a bit like you were saying, Jen, about how you, you tend to focus more on literary fiction rather than mainstream commercial thrillers you know it's 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 about understanding what the publisher does isn't it that's right it is and it must be demoralizing sending your book out to loads of places and not having any response when actually you shouldn't have sent it out in the first place because it wasn't they weren't the right places yeah yeah So you can improve your hit rate by being much more selective about who you're actually sending them to in the first place. Yeah. 
that's right. Yeah. Jen, how, what's the best way for people to get in touch with, with SALT to see what you're publishing? Where can they find you or contact you? Well, the best place is our website. Mm-hmm. That's got all of our books on it, um, what we've published, what's forthcoming, um, lots of information about our authors and so on. Um, on Twitter as well, um, at, which is at Salt Publishing, and it's saltpublishing.com is the website. But Twitter, we put up information about new reviews and author events and readings and so on. And we like talking to people on Twitter. So, yeah, do get in contact us, have a chat with us. We like that. Okay. I think Twitter is such a great place for something like that. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll make sure we put the links to your website and your Twitter account in the show notes. <laughs> so now it's time for Editing Bites. This is the bit of the show where Jen has to be quiet and Denise and I instead do all the talking. We're going to give you um, each a recommended tool or resource that we think you'll benefit from. So, Denise, what have you got for us this week? So my bite this week is the Typographic Style Handbook. Uh, now, this is full of really fantastic information about how to lay out your book, journal or corporate material. It's got chapters on typeface choices, numbers, punctuation headings, lists, captions and illustrations. And I think it'd be really helpful for self-publishers to understand the typesetting process and the factors you need to consider. It's really clearly laid out and I love dipping into it. I, I read it like I read my um recipe books i just love sipping <laughs> sipping through it bedtime reading yeah <laughs> and mine is a tool that i think um relates back to what jen was talking about this issue of making sure your your fiction book anyway is as good as it possibly can um can be because one of the things that i think frustrates a lot of inexperienced fiction writers is um show don't tell and um and so the my editing bite is a, a book, a, quite a short book as well, which is always appealing, called Understanding Show Don't Tell. And it's by Janice Hardy of Fiction University. And Hardy's book just demystifies this this concept of show don't tell and, and shows you how to spot red flags in told prose and how to fix those without making the story stale or flat. That's lovely. So that's all for this week. We'd like to thank once again Jen Hamilton-Emery of Salt Publishing for coming to talk to us. Thank you, Jen. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. You're very welcome. And thanks so much for listening to the Editing Podcast. You can rate, review and subscribe via your podcatcher. And please tell your writer, editor and business friends about us, basically anyone who writes. You can get in touch with us via the Editing Podcast Facebook page and drop your questions in there too and we'll get back to you. That's right. And don't forget all the links we've mentioned, including the ones to Jen and Salt, are in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. This is where um, Jen has to be quiet and Denise and I give <laughs> uh, um, uh, you a recommended tool or resource that, that we think... Um, would be oh for goodness sake (laughs) you need coffee (laughs) i do i've got coffee